Hi, I'm Dr. Shante, and welcome to Branding for Believers, the podcast that I decided to turn into a pod class. I want you to come into this classroom with me, become engaged, and become equipped with everything you need to turn your fear into the faith you need to believe bigger in your dreams. So if you're ready to confront your fears, your doubts, your questions, keep watching. Welcome back to Branding for Believers. This is episode two, and we're continuing our fear series. I'm Dr. Shantae, and I help entrepreneurs and social media influencers turn their creative ideas into brand strategies, but also equip them with the tools that they need to turn their fear into the faith they need to believe bigger in their dreams. That's what Branding for Believers is all about. And so if you are coming to this episode We're going to be talking about the social impact of fear. This is part two of a three-part series. So if you haven't listened to part one, I definitely encourage you to go back and get the kind of groundwork and the foundation for that episode because we're continuing that conversation about how fear affects us. And we're going to look at it from three angles. One is psychological. The second is social. And then third, fear is actually making quite a few of us very, very sick. And so I want to be able to unpack that down to a a cellular level, just kind of get a micro analysis of what fear is actually doing and how that's hindering our success, but not to stay there, to really look at it and be proactive about making that shift. So we're operating from the premise that fear can be debilitating. And this is the type of fear that cripples you and makes your dreams inaccessible. That's one part that I want to emphasize is that fear is a barrier, it's an obstacle, your dreams are there, but what fear does is it makes them inaccessible. So it's almost kind of like (laughs) seeing the snack that you want in the vending machine and you don't have enough change or your dollar keeps going in and out and it's not working and that frustration, you see it, it's right there, but you can't get to it. And that's what's happening with a lot of entrepreneurs. When fear is a part of the equation, it's right there but you can't get to it. And so we want to try to get you past that barrier and make sure that you have a, a, the tools and the equipment that you need to move past your fear. So three things we're going to be talking about today. Imposter syndrome, fear of judgment, which is a big one, that's huge, and fear of failure. Honestly, when we're thinking about fear, we're not just afraid of one thing, we're afraid of a lot of things. There's a lot of dynamics that come into the picture. And so we're gonna roll through that agenda, starting with the imposter syndrome. So some of you may have heard of this, and if you're listening to this, you might be familiar with the notion that imposter syndrome is a collection of feelings of inadequacy that persist even in the face of information that indicates that the opposite is true. And so even though people love your voice, They love your cupcakes. They think you're doing a phenomenal job. You're a fantastic stylist. You're so good at what you do. You've gotten so much praise, so many accolades, all these testimonials. You've looked at your work and people have said it's phenomenal. And yet, even in the face of all that, you still feel like a fraud. You still feel like, but who am I? Well, I don't look like the average person. I mean, the typical person that I see doing these types of things. I don't see myself on the big shows and in the media and having these platforms. So who am I to enter that space? Even though you've gotten positive feedback and so many accolades, you still feel like you don't belong there. And so it is experienced internally as chronic self-doubt. That's another thing that I want to emphasize about fear. Fear isn't like this 
momentary. Ooh, I had a minute. Okay, I'm over it now. Fear is chronic. Self-doubt is chronic. It's a tape that plays repeatedly over and over in your head, in yourself, and you are conditioning, routinely conditioning yourself not to do well. You are conditioning yourself to stand in front of that vending machine, looking at your dreams with the dollar in your hand. Because here's the thing about it. It's not that you can't access it is that you don't access it because all of you have the keys and the power to get the Twinkies out of the vending machine or whatever it is, the Fritos, the Doritos. You have the power to do that. It's staring you right in your face, but there's something that's keeping you from accessing it, from actually taking the action that's necessary to get what you need out of that machine. And so social comparison, when you're talking about imposter syndrome, social comparison is huge because you think about what you're doing and you already see somebody that's doing it and they're doing a great job and you see how it looks and it looks polished and it looks professional and you like, eee, I know that costs thousands of dollars and you start looking at the not thousands of dollars in your bank account and you're like, mm, yeah, see if I, if only I had, yeah, see that, yeah. But the thing is, let me tell you something about social comparison, especially, especially on social media. It is an edited narration. You know what editors do? They take parts of the story out. And what gets shown for public consumption, you don't see everything that hit the cutting room floor. You don't see all the paragraphs that got omitted. You don't see all the chapters that, you know, were like, nah, this doesn't work. All you see is an edited narration, a final cut of what the editor, the publisher, the producer wants you to see. And so you see somebody's finished product, somebody in your industry, you have no idea how they got there. No idea. You don't know what they had to sacrifice, what compromises they've made, what tears they've shed, how many times they failed at trying to do that thing and they're just now getting able to, to do it just now. You don't know that. All you see is that finished product and you start thinking, oh my gosh, my thing will never look like that. It doesn't look like that now, what am I going to do? So social comparison comes into play when we're talking about fear and we start to become afraid and we get intimidated by somebody else's process, by somebody else's journey. Self-doubt, we start asking ourselves questions, who's going to take me seriously? Who am I? But the thing about it is, is that, you know, biologically for the most part, unless somebody knows something that I don't know, don't we all kind of start in the, some, in the same place? Didn't we come out, you know, a similar shoot, so to speak, <laughs> okay? Like we, we started there. So when, the, when, we come, when we start in that place, they're not anybody either that anybody knows. I mean, unless you're kind of like, you know, the Duke and the Duchess and you're like Kate Middleton and people are like waiting with bated breath for the baby to come. But most of us, that's, it's not that type of party, okay? So all of us start, everybody that you know that is great, everybody that you admire, every model, every script writer, every novelist, every journalist, everybody that you think is phenomenal started the same way you did. And granted, throughout life, some of us have opportunities that others don't have. Some of us have nothing and they're still at the top of their craft because they're doggedly committed that this is going to work no matter what. So instead of asking who's going to take me seriously, that's the wrong question. It's like people are going to take me seriously because I say so. Don't underestimate the power of will. Let me tell you something. I'm a college professor. 
tenured. So for those of you out there listening, sometimes you hear the word tenured and it's like, ooh, Mufasa, because you know what that means, right? It's like job security, like short of finding like, I don't know, dead bodies, contraband, something like in my office. It, it's very hard to fire me. I, I work in a highly unionized environment. And even if they didn't like me, which they do, they would fight for me because it's for the good of the order. So I'm a tenured professor. I'm one promotion shy of being full professor. I get my summers off, I get spring breaks. I mean, I work two days on campus. It's a cushy gig. By all intents and purposes, by all rationale, there's no reason I would ever do something like start a business. Why would I build a platform? Because I got it quote unquote so good, but good is the enemy of great because good breeds complacency. Good breeds paralysis. And so sometimes we find ourselves in these quote unquote comfortable positions and we start getting comfortable with things like direct deposit, which I ain't mad, I get it, <laughs> okay? We get comfortable with those types of things and we start looking at the things that we have and we start to say, you know, when I look around, when I start comparing myself to other people, I, I'm not doing so bad, there's nothing wrong with this, but yet it doesn't answer the calling that's in your heart. It doesn't ignite the passion that's in your soul. It doesn't manifest into what you want to bring into the world. The reason why you guys are here listening, the reason why you're here in this classroom and watching is because I willed it to be so. I said I'm going to and I did it, period. Just because. No permission, no publishers, no media, no agent, no booking contract, nothing but I'm going to do it and I did it. I'm not quote, well, you're a doctor. I would do this if I didn't have a credential. I would do this if I didn't have a degree. I have something to say. It's something of value, and I know somebody needs to hear it. But you have to have that personal conviction to be able to say, this is what it's going to be. So don't underestimate the power of will. Instead of asking who's going to take you seriously, you need to be asking who needs me to show up. Show of hands, how many of you have had to deal with fear on some level with your entrepreneurship or platform building journey? All of us, every last one of us in here. So why am I here? Because you need me. You need me to show up and motivate you and spur you and equip you and say, I get it, I've been there, we all have, but there is something on the other side of fear and that's faith. So we're starting with the fear series. The next one we're talking about the faith series and that's good stuff. But we have to start here. So examine the evidence. When you find yourself in this place of, I feel like a fraud, I don't belong here, who am I? Um, I'm not rich. Examine the evidence. What have you been affirmed over and over again that you do well? Where have you gotten accolades? Where have you gotten praise? Where have you gotten paid, okay? And people have encouraged and invited you to come back into that space. Examine the evidence. And the evidence, I mean, we've, we've watched court dramas, have we not? Law and Order, SVU, all that other type of stuff, right? So we've watched the court drama. There's evidence, and then there's that circumstantial evidence. That evidence, that hard, concrete, tangible memory uh, experience that you can put your hand on and say, I'm good at this. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Hold on to that, not the fabrication, not the planted evidence that your mind will supplant and tell you that, mm, maybe not. That's circumstantial, that's fabricated. And if it doesn't fit, come on, you must acquit. If it doesn't fit, abandon ship, leave that thing alone. The next thing we wanna talk about is fear of judgment. Fear of judgment is huge. What are people going to say? Now I will tell you this, 
One of the things I love about myself, sometimes I, I, I get these questionnaires and they say, what's your superpower? I say, I'm an introvert. And nobody believes that. They're like, you are not shy. You are not quiet. You are like, ah, like I am right now, right? Because when the lights go on and the curtain goes up, mama puts on the show. So for those of you listening, mama puts on the show, okay? But at the same time, what I love about being an introvert is that public opinion really doesn't hold a lot of sway with me. And so because I draw my energy from within, as opposed to extroverts who draw their energy from others, because I draw my energy from within, whatever somebody has to say in terms of judgment, it's like Wonder Woman bracelets, like pew, pew, pew. Like, it's like, who are you? Who are you? Because the thing is, when you get into a place where you're worried about who's judging you, you're giving somebody permission to have that power in your story. You're giving somebody permission to hold that place in your life, okay? So what that will do, the consequences when you're living about fear of judgment is it will cause us to stick with the devil we know. Many of us would rather stick with the devil that we know rather than take a risk and deal with the devil that we don't. In other words, we will stay in a situation that we know makes us unhappy. We'll stay in a situation that we know does not serve us. We will stick with people and in circles and in circumstances that we know make us physically ill because we're too afraid of the unknown, the what ifs. Not only that, Eleanor Roosevelt, I love this quote. She says, no one can make me feel inferior without my permission. Too many of us are granting other people permission to judge. We all have made mistakes. We all have done some things we're not proud of. We all may have come from some places that you know we don't want mentioned in the bio and in the highlight reel. We all have things that we'd like to leave on the cutting room floor as editors of our own lives. And sometimes we start thinking about where we come from and where we used to be and people who used to know us from way back when. And if we try to accomplish something, they'll try to pull us back into those places. Not without your permission. Not without your say-so. Not unless you allow that. So fear of judgment, that's something that you can control. Not to mention, fear of judgment often represents something that you're judging about your own self. Now I'm gonna be completely, completely transparent. So you're talking about a transparent moment. Now, I'm married to a professional photographer. Honey, if you're listening, watching, hey, okay. And as a professional photographer, there's this magic called Photoshop which means if you have an extra chin, he can pull it in. And if your waist is not snatched in, you know, to like a perfect 28, he can do that too. You know, you got extra things happening on your arms, he can pull that right on together, give you definition and tone. I mean, it's, it's a magical, marvelous thing, and yet it's not real. And that's great with still photos, but the video, the camera, doesn't lie. Dun, dun, dun. So the last time that I was in front of a camera, I was, many pounds lighter let's just say that I was many pounds lighter and so socially there's this piece because you know when you gain weight all of a sudden you start hiding yourself from society like you go into hiding and all of a sudden you're grateful that you live in Chicago with the polar vortex because you can hide in these clothes and under these blankets and burkas and parkas like yes no one can see what's happening underneath but eventually after winter comes spring and you come out of hibernation and then like the truth is revealed and it's like oh yeah, I've been eating cookies. So in, so in my defense, we've had two brutal winters. So for those of you watching, those of you listening, in Chicago, we've had two back-to-back -back brutal winters. 
And, you know, I turned into Betty Crocker. You know, these things happen. You're in hibernation. You start eating. You're not going out because it's like 50 degrees below. And I could have let all of that play in my head and say, oh, I can't go out there until I get a certain size, until I become a certain weight, until, because if I had did that, I'm giving everybody permission to judge me and say that I'm not relevant, I'm not valued, I don't have anything to say unless I fit your standards and your expectations of what you think I should look like. I can't do that. For the, word, for, the, for, the, for the record, I'm working on it. So for those of you listening, I have a personal training. We are getting it right together, okay? But in the meantime, while it's coming together, I'm still here. So fear of judgment only happens when we give other people permission. And yeah, I realize that that is something that I have to acknowledge, but when I, I am transparent about it, when I put it out there and say I'm doing this anyway, I take away the power for anybody else to judge me. When I put it out there, I take the sting out of it. It's like, yeah, that's already out there. Now what? Case in point, two really good examples. A tale of two presidents, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama. Bill Clinton, when there was a question about whether or not he used recreational drugs during his college years, he said, hey, I did not inhale. I held it, I looked at it, but I didn't, you know, puff. Okay which was looked at with a great deal of healthy skepticism as it probably should have been. And then there's Barack Obama, who had the foresight to write this autobiography and tell his story that outlined his recreational drug use, smoking and drinking and things like that in college. And when he did that, that means that when he got on the political platform and somebody wanted to say, but once upon a time, didn't you? He was like, yeah, I did. Didn't you read the book? It's like page 167. Go, go buy that. Thank you for your support. You see the difference? When you put it out there, when you do that, you take away somebody else's power to judge you. And more importantly, you stop judging yourself because you are no longer in that place. You're out of that place and you're just using that as a fact of what was, but not a fact of what is. Because if you're not there anymore, if you don't live at that address anymore and you've moved on, you've moved on, okay? Then there's fear of failure. <clears throat> Failure is not a bad thing. I know that it's like fail, okay, like failing grades. But failure isn't always a bad thing. We need to redefine that because failure is an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to grow and strengthen our resolve. And sometimes that needs to be reinforced. So, you know, we've had this experience as a young child. Don't touch the hot stove because if you touch the hot stove, what's going to happen? You're going to get burned. And so we're like, okay. And then we step up and we look around and we go in the kitchen and ooh, and we touch the hot stove. And what happened? Sure enough, we got burned. But you know, some of us are hard headed. So some of us have stepped into the kitchen and we've touched the hot stove a few times, okay, before it finally clicked that this isn't going to work, that this, this cycle of self-sabotage, us doing ourselves in, that isn't working. And so it's an opportunity to learn from that not only that, John C. Maxwell, uh, Failing Forward, love this book. So if you have not read this book, please go get it. Check it out of your local library. Failure is not final unless we say it is. Failure is not final. It's not final. There's something to be said about persisting, about not giving up. When you fail or something doesn't work out, it's not the end until you say that it is. And there's some examples of that on the next slide. Um, 
Fear of failure is often a mask for fear of taking responsibility if things don't go as planned. So if it doesn't work out, if we want to stay out of victimhood, because the minute you start blaming other people, we'll see my photographer, we'll see my stylist, we'll see my job, we'll see it was somebody else's fault. Fear of failure, when you fail, you have to own it. You have to own it. You made that bed, you lay in it. It's not anybody else's fault. I can tell you, and I'm not gonna sit up here and tell my life story, but I can tell you, I didn't grow up in ideal circumstances. This is not a silver spoon situation here. If anything, it's more of a rags to riches, amen for riches, you know, um, but, but it's, it's that type of thing, okay? This isn't, uh, I went to Harvard and things like that. I grew up in, in Inglewood, south side of Chicago, you know, for several years and it, yeah. Um, so the thing is, is that, you know, I could say, well, if I hadn't grown up on the South Side, well, if my dad had been more of a presence in my life, well, if I had gone to better schools, well, there's a lot of wells. Well, if I hadn't, you know, made these mistakes and gotten involved with that person and started this relationship. At the end of the day, I have to own all of that. I'm not a victim of circumstance. I am the only one responsible for the outcome of my life. You are the only one responsible for the outcome of your life. It's not somebody else's responsibility to make you rich. It's not somebody else's responsibility to make you famous. It's not somebody else's responsibility to give you the tools that you need. You are the only one responsible for the outcome of your life. Well, I don't have people that support me, then find people who will support you. They're not gonna fall out of the apple tree, out of the support tree. You need to go and find and surround yourself with those people, which means that you have to come out of your comfort zone. So the social impact of fear also comes into play because we start blaming other people for things that we're responsible for. And so when you're talking about fear of failure, I don't wanna own that failure. You know, what's interesting, one of the, one of the things, one of the, the it's, it's kind of funny to me, it's ironic. Um, one of the earliest stories in the Bible talks about Adam and Eve. And Adam was like the first man who like threw somebody under the bus, right? Like, so after they, <laughs> after they ate the apple, after they ate the fruit, you know, God comes in and he's like, did you eat the fruit that I told you not to eat? And the very first words out of Adam's mouth was, this woman you gave me. See, what had happened was this woman you gave me, <laughs> he went straight into victim. Right. He went, see, if it hadn't been for this woman you gave me, I wouldn't have even ate that fruit. No, no. Mm -hmm. you have to own that. You did it. Okay, so a lot of times when it's fear of failure, we don't want to take responsibility and own the fact that we messed up or that we could have made different choices. And let me tell you the powerful thing about taking responsibility, because when you don't, you are doomed to repeat the same cycle, which means if there's nothing that you could have done differently, if there's no other choices that you could have made, no other phone calls, no other actions that you could have taken, that means that you will forever be subject to somebody else's will. It's always gonna be somebody else's fault. So when you take responsibility, then you take the power to change the outcome. So here's some failures. It's not failure, it's not final unless you say it is. Oprah Winfrey, fired from her first television job in Baltimore, facing sexism and harassment. So Oprah, <clears throat> the mogul, the billionaire, the empire that she's built, she got fired from her first job in television. Steven Spielberg, he was rejected multiple times 
from the University of California Cinematic School. They said he didn't have what it took. A couple of years later, he made Jaws and the rest was history. Then Vera Wang, hey Vera Wang, the Vera Wang, failed to make the US Olympic ice skating team, was passed over for editor-in-chief at Vogue and began gown making at the age of 40. That's another thing, sometimes we think it's too late. Oh, if I had known then what I know now, oh, you know, if this had been 15 years ago, I really could have done something with that 40. And this woman is renowned. That's when she got started. Oprah didn't film her first show until she was 35, 36. Stop placing these artificial barriers, these artificial timetables on when it's our time. It's your time when you say it's your time. When you work consistently enough, I believe it was Orville Redenbacher. Fascinating. You want to talk about dedication. The formula that he was perfecting for popcorn and the fluffiness, and as we know it today, that did not come to fruition until he was in his 60s, 70s. He was committed to it for 30, 40 years. That is commitment. And when it happened, it happened, but he didn't give up. So this is going to be our time for getting your responses to this. So for those of you that are listening, hopefully you're in your car, you're on the treadmill, you're on the elliptical, like, mm-hmm, amen, and people are looking at you like you're crazy. So that's a good thing, okay? Because this means this is you're resonating, you're feeling it, you're, you're getting this response. But here in the classroom, we're gonna take a pulse and kind of see what it is that you're responding to. So I think that the insight on you're not too old to change careers was very useful for me because I am 35 year old. And I'm trying to switch from a lucrative but kind of boring tax career, mm -hmm. you know, in, in one of the major accounting firms mm -hmm. to uh, space entrepreneurship, which sounds really wacko if you just put it in, that, in those terms. But, you know, it, so this business of Vera Wang being 40 when she started making gowns, that means it's, it's not really that late. It's not that late. Could be worse. It could. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm Chantella. And I love listening to you. It's not my first rodeo listening. And what I get out of listening to Dr. Shante is just reinforcement for what so many of us already know in our hearts. And so as I'm listening to this particular podcast, what was going through my mind was just everything that's been sitting on that back burner. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you write your goals, you make your vision boards, you have your dreams, and you might nick at it every now and then, peel a piece of paper, okay, I'll, but you put it back. Mm -hmm. And so this is so enlightening for me and it's so refreshing because I'm at that stage in my life where I am stepping up and stepping out, but at the same time, there's still these voices in the back of my head, which you spoke about. And now those voices are becoming quieter mm -hmm. because I, I have no excuse. Yeah, I, I'm over 40, but who cares? I don't look it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't. I know you guys are listening, but she doesn't. <laughs> and so what's important to me is that at this particular stage in my life is to really just get it done. Stop hemming and hawing. Mm -hmm. Make the moves. Make the connections. Go out there. You don't need approval to be awesome. 
That's right. That's a tweetable. So for those of you who heard that, that's a tweetable. You don't need approval to be awesome. So thank you guys for listening. Again, if you have responses to this podcast, you want to throw in your two cents, go ahead and, and give me your comments on Twitter at Dr. Shante says these will be on the website for you to offer your comments in the show notes. Um, also their hashtag believe bigger. So if you want to get social, Follow me on Instagram at Dr. Shante Says or at Branding for Believers for some quotables from our show. I certainly welcome you to do that. Thank you for joining me and join me for part three. So the finale of this series is fear making you sick. We're going to be looking at chemically what is happening in your body on a cellular level when you are afraid and you are consistently so. How is that manifesting in our bodies from a physical standpoint? Thank you for joining me. I will see you next time. Thank you for watching and listening Branding for Believers. You can get all of today's show notes at brandingforbelievers.com and you can follow Dr. Shante on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Shante Says. And don't forget to tune in for the next episode. Think about it. Whenever you are nervous about something, it manifests itself physically in your body. There's heart palpitations and there's sweating and there's shortness of breath and your stomach starts to churn. All of that is from this emotional response that you're having to something that you perceive as risky, as dangerous. And as we talked about in episode one, nothing is more, is perceived as more risky in terms of your financial future than entrepreneurship. Because one of the biggest stressors that we have is money. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening.